Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Ben Rosenfeld was born in the city formerly known as Leningrad, but came to Connecticut as a toddler with his parents as the Soviet Union began to break apart. His comedy reflects his upbringing as a Russian-Jewish immigrant in America. A graduate of Rutgers University, Ben entered a Ph.D. program in neuroeconomics at Caltech before realizing that his career path was meant for comedy instead. His TV credits include Laughs on Fox as well as The Nick Cannon Show, and he's released multiple comedy albums since 2012. Neurocomedy, The Russian Optimist, The United States of Russia, and Don't Shake Your Miracle. Ben also has published an illustrated coffee table book, Russian Optimism, Dark Nursery Rhymes to Cheer You Right Up. That optimism seemed needed even more in 2022 than in 2016, ever since Russia invaded the Ukraine. Ben has tried to find jokes in that too, producing daily TikTok videos to his more than 270,000 followers. He joined me over Zoom to talk about his comedy career, his Russian heritage, and how he's had to adapt to audiences as the geopolitics have changed. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode, as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Ben Rosenfeld, thank you for joining me. Last things first, before we get to all the jokey jokes and all of the the ups and downs of your personal life and career, I have to ask, how is your family doing? Uh, my wife and daughter are doing mostly well. Our kids, she's almost four and our preschool got shut down yesterday because of one positive COVID case. So now she's home for a week doing zoom preschool so other than that you know other than that they're fine i mean i think it's worse for me than them but of course you know for my listeners you know it it might seem like a a very simple question to be asking about how your family is doing but you were born in saint petersburg russia although at the time it was leningrad ussr Yes, I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia, not to be confused with St. Petersburg, Florida, <laughs> which Americans often do. And it's like the only thing they have in common is uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, part of greater Tampa area, one of the strip club capitals of the world. And St. Petersburg, Russia provides the strippers. And since it's spring break, you can you can uh, be rest assured plenty of uh, college kids might get confused and end up in the wrong St. Petersburg. Yes. Well, not not anymore, because I don't think they're letting anyone in or out of Russia. So, Right. But do you have family still in Russia? My, my dad's wife's uh, da- grown daughter and grandson are in Russia. Uh, m- most of my immediate family, because we're Jews, and Russia let all the Jews escape in, by the late 80s. And then somehow the country collapsed after all their smart people left. <laughs> so yeah i have family uh grandparents in germany uh, my mom's brother 
moved to Israel at first. Some relatives went to Canada. Like as soon as Russia let people leave, a lot of people left uh, from from my family. So how old were you when your parents took you and showed up in Connecticut? Yeah, I was uh, three years old. Okay. And apparently, like, I had started speaking Russian, but then we got here, and then I just stopped speaking for six months completely, and then I started speaking English. So oh, wow. That probably did something to the brain programming. <laughs> I guess forget about Rosetta Stone. Just just shock your toddler. <laughs> into- hey, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know how you were developing language skills the first three years? Forget that. Let's let's do a new language from scratch. <laughs> Although, as you readily admit on your TikTok and elsewhere, and in your comedy special that you filmed in 2019, your your own toddler kid is speaking Russian. Yeah. No, I we've purposefully trained her or just I, I always I try to talk to her in Russian as much as possible. My wife does not speak Russian, but she's very encouraging of our kid being bilingual. And like, we'll take her to a Russian camp a couple times a week, like a couple hours of classes a week. And then anytime I leave her with either my dad and his wife or my mom, they, I'm like, only speak Russian to her. So yeah, we're, we're trying to preserve her being bilingual. Although right now, Russian is the new R word that you can't say. Right, exactly, which is which is part of the reason why we're speaking today. You know, so many of your jokes in that special that you, you know, filmed in 2019 and uh, first released on Prime, Amazon Prime, and now in the last few months you put for free up on YouTube, like so many of the jokes are dependent upon us laughing at the idea of Russia and Vladimir Putin and cartoonish evil but the jokes hit different now yeah yeah the jokes hit different i mean also since the war started i've written a whole new three to five minutes on the subject because i i remember i think it was like two days into the war the the first couple of days i had like one little acknowledgement like after i mentioned i'm born in russia i'd just be like i was performing at the comedy club next door when i decided to invade this one just to kind of, you know, tongue in cheek, acknowledge that I'm aware of what is happening. Uh, but then there, there was like a, a couple of days in, there was like a, five, I only had like a five minute set and I just skipped that part. And I was just doing my, I have a child that speaks Russian and jokes like that. And I could just feel them being like, uh, you're kind of forgetting to mention something. Are you not aware <laughs> uh, so, so after that, I, I just added a bunch of Russia-Ukraine war jokes because you know, nice, easy topic to thread the needle on. Right. I mean, you know, I've been reflecting, and uh, the, one of my most lighthearted reflections of the past month is knowing that I've now had on my podcast. Ukrainian's second most famous comedian in Yakov Shmirnov. And at the time, I guess Ukraine's most famous comedian, but now a far, a distant second. Uh, but then I'm trying to imagine Yakov as the president of Ukraine. And also just remembering like his path when he immigrated from the former Soviet Union and all of the jokes 
I guess because it was the Cold War and it was truly a Cold War at the time, all of his, we don't do this, Russia finds you, all of those jokes, it was so easy for us to laugh about that in the 1980s. As you were growing up as an immigrant, was comedy... Was comedy something that you took to immediately or was it something that uh, you had to meander around different career paths to find? I mean, I took to comedy immediately as how I can deal with the world, but it took me a couple of years out of co- college till I realized comedy. But, but it was also like, if I look backwards in college, me and my roommate were running a parody website. We went to Rutgers we created a website, Slutgers, that kind of made fun of the school. And it was like college humor, but only in, for, for both our college. So, so it was like, I'd clearly already been doing it, but didn't realize I was doing it, where it was just more of a hobby. And then my first job out of college was uh, management consulting. So I did like three years of like actual corporate work. But then two years into that, I started comedy and uh I, I got into a, a grad, a PhD program at Caltech. So I, I was already doing comedy, but then I was able to quit like a good paying job to go to grad school. But then like within three months, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be in grad school. I, I want to focus on comedy. So. So did you focus first on comedy in California? I, I, I was already doing it in New York for a year, then moved to uh, Pasadena for like three months, then moved back to New York because I like I like New York more, especially if I'm not in school here. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay, so even though you were in Southern California, which is a known hotbed for comedy, when you when you decided Caltech wasn't your future, that comedy was your future, you didn't dip your toes into those clubs. Yeah, I mean, I you know I was doing. The, the, the time I was there, I was performing where I could around mm-hmm. L.A., but it fewer shows, harder to get stage time. Whereas, like, New York, I kind of already knew. One, all my family is in the tri-state area. And, like, you know, I, I, there was at least, like, some path in New York where L.A. just felt even more difficult. Everything's difficult, but it felt even more difficult. But, uh, yeah. And to, in childhood, like, I had all the internet jokes memorized, like, you know, especially being like a Russian immigrant in I, my elementary school, because like Jewish, we, until Ukraine happened, Soviet Jews of the 80s were the last white refugees. We're like, we, it wasn't like you take a direct flight from St. Petersburg to New York. It's, we had to first go to Vienna, Austria, then Italy, then wait for, you ask for asylum and then either Canada, America, or Israel takes you. Uh, so, so the local Jewish family services of Connecticut set us up. So they put me in a private Jewish school, which I hated uh, for elementary school. So, I, and it was like you said, the eighties, early nineties. So Boris and Natasha was popular. My birth name is Boris in Russian and that had to be changed for survival uh, sooner than later. <laughs> Even so, though uh, Boris Yeltsin, famous politician and accidental comedian. Yes, yes. <laughs> so Acc- accidental comedian, great album title for someone. Though. 
<laughs> when you when you talk about the the idea that for Soviet Jews it's not as easy as as for other refugees at least of the time period I don't know what is what it's like for refugees in 2022 so I can't speak to that experience but was America your parents first choice or what 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 have your parents said about the the move from the former Leningrad to Connecticut. As far as I'm aware that that's where they wanted to go as first choice. Uh, I know they had friends who had moved to America like 10 years before and were already like set up and established. And we like stayed in their basement the first month or two. So, so like they had, you know, when you know someone that, and that's how we ended up in Connecticut because they, that's where they were living. So it's like, what once you know a person or two versus the other places you don't, then you kind of want to go there. But, right. but I think also in the eighties, American marketing was still working pretty well with America's amazing. So that, that helped lure them. <laughs> oh, and also my, my dad in Russia, he, one of his jobs was a tour guide for foreigners. And re- like in the eighties, it wasn't easy to even get into Russia, but people, and I guess he met a bunch of Americans and like from the different tourists, I think America is where he wanted to be. Right. My high school, now, now that you mentioned it, my high school history teacher would lead, I don't know if it was every year or every other year, he would lead a field trip to Moscow. But I think, yeah, you, you had to have handlers or as they call them, fixers now. So, yeah, it it doesn't surprise me that, yeah, your dad might be one of those kinds of people. Was tapping into your your own immigrant story, was that baked into your stand-up from the get-go, or was that something that you tried different different forms of stand-up before you were like, okay, part of my voice essentially is the fact that I'm Russian-born? It definitely took a little bit, probably like, definitely, I'd say maybe within a year, definitely within two, I had it, that I'm like, okay, people, one, are responding when I do voice of disappointed immigrant parents, plus it's also true, and and just like, it it wasn't a day one choice, but like, I I think my first jokes were, were, you know, I was 22, so it was all like, dating and the, the typical bad open mic jokes. Uh, I think the first one I ever wrote is you're confused. You're looking at me. You're thinking he does stand up. He should be a model. Uh, so I, I never lacked for confidence at least, but yeah, it, it took a little while till I started leading into the Russian stuff. But one, one I had a bunch of stories and two people can relate and three, it's like, you know, when when you're on the road, you want to start with how are we the same? Me and the audience, we, the performer in the audience, whereas in New York City, because there's so many comedians all the time, it's like, how are, how are you different? And you want to leave with that. So that, that was kind of how that started. And then sooner or later, I, 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 I'll like say a sentence or two in Russian for some of the jokes, which... One, it just sounds funny, but two, it establishes more credibility because, like, sometimes people will be, come up to me and be like, are you really Russian? But, like, they think I'm doing a shtick character to just 
It's like, I, I just talk about something else. But the, the way to prove that is what, when they ask, are you really Russian? I just respond, we're all going to die. <laughs> and then, the, then they're like, your story checks out. <laughs> <laughs> right. There, there's something quintessentially dark comedy about being Russian or ex-Soviet or whatever. Yeah, I, I even released a, uh, an illustrated humor book called Russian Optimism dark nursery rhymes to cheer you right up, which is like, these are real Russian joke jokes. And I translated them and made it into nice illustration, but like kids dying, each one hilarious, but they're like little Grimm's tales type poems, you know, that like, maybe you won't play in the neighbor's yard because she poisoned her cherry trees and all the kids are dead now. (laughs) Right. I was just about to mention, not only did you, did you publish that book, uh, Russian optimism, dark nursery rhymes to chew you right up. But you also put it in the titles of, of two of your stand-up albums, uh, 2016's The Russian Optimist and 2018's The United States of Russia. So you really, you really started to lean in <laughs> to the, the Russian aspect of your personality. Yeah, plus, I mean, with all the uh, election hacking reports, I'm like, might as well try to take advantage of this. But, but I mean, it's, it also comes from a natural place in that even now in America, whenever I t- speak with either of my parents, I always speak in Russian and stuff like that, where, it, where it's not, you know, like, you know, it's not like some immigrants, like they come here and they never speak their native tongue again to fully assimilate, where I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty assimilated, but I'll, I'll be talking to friends and my dad calls me and I'm like, I'll leave it and they think I'm planning a war. But I'm just like, yeah, talking in Russian. And then did you did you join? You, you've got a nice following on, on TikTok, like 270,000 followers as of right now. Did you join TikTok be- before the pandemic started or after the pandemic started? So I, I think I did like five posts right before the pandemic when my last special was coming out. And like the first one got a lot of views, like 20 pounds, but then the next four videos got like a hundred. So then I forgot about it. Then the pandemic hit. Then my friend, Chris James, who's also a comedian. He's, I think he's in LA now, but he was living in New York. He has British accent. He's like, Ben, you got to get on the TikTok, get on the TikTok. And he like kept pestering me and pestering me, you know, good. You know, he was trying to help. I'm like, fine, I'm going to post a video a day for 30 days. And every time I post, I'm going to text you just posted to be as annoying at you as you are at me. And then like within a week, like the view, you know, I started getting like a hundred thousand views plus per, per little clip. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm doing this forever now. <laughs> so how, how has your TikTok strategy changed over the past two years? Uh, so when I started posting daily in May of 2020, uh, I'd post two videos a day because I had four comedy albums where I'm like, I'll just find the short jokes and just do a couple, you know, 10 to 20 seconds at a time. And if something new, I can also test out. But I'm like, I have this huge backlog of jokes. Let me just do two videos a day. No big deal. Because I, I just film it. It's just me with a white wall behind me and just talking into the camera What's crazy to me is that does way better. Anytime I post an actual stand-up clip with an actual audience and actual laughter, no one wants to see it. 
And then when, when it's just me in a wall, I, my theory is either they feel I'm talking to them or they think I'm not an actual comedian, but I'm just a person talking and a, a random person talking funny is more impressive than an actual comedian talking. But, but like the username has Big Ben Comedy in it. So I, I wouldn't think that they, wh- whatever it is, they, they seem to only like me talking into the camera. Uh, so strategy wise, the change, when I started, I was doing two videos a day because one, there's a lot of views and two, I had a lot of backlog. Now I'm out of all my old albums and I'm usually three days ahead on best case for new jokes. So I post one video a day, but it's also like within the last six to 12 months, everyone's saying all their TikTok views have gone down on average, like five times. So when the pandemic started, it was like any video, average video would get 10 to 30,000 views. And then the big ones, bigger ones would be 100 to 200,000 within the week. And then you'd get a million here or there. Whereas like now an average video gets three to 5,000 views. And now it's like decent if it's at 50,000 and like anything over 100,000 views is like, okay, this is a good hit for today. And then in 2022, since Russia's special military operation, takeover slash invasion slash war in Ukraine started, you've been posting daily jokes about about it. Has was 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 that something that you had to think about for a little bit before you started doing, or was that? instantaneous like no this is what i have to do it it wasn't instantaneous and it it, it was like the same in the same three days russia started to invade my grandma passed away which she was old but it was still like like i was distracting myself from dealing with grandma feelings by doom scrolling twitter russia invasion news So, so there was like the first five days I didn't post anything and I didn't have, I was trying to read different sources in both languages and kind of understand what different, what the different viewpoints are. Uh, So, I mean, most people would say it's instantaneous because day five, I had like eight minutes of joke ideas that I started trying. Some worked, some didn't. And then, so within the week, I definitely had it, but I, I, I wouldn't call it instantaneous because there was like those first five days I didn't have the jokes yet, but I was mulling it, but I didn't know what to say or not say. But it's also like some, I'm still figuring it out. And I'm, you know, I mean, hopefully the war ends because it's not good for anyone, especially regular people. But the longer it drags on, the more jokes I'll probably have about it. Now, you mentioned your grandmother died that same week that the war started. Was she Russian? She was born in Russia. Here's the thing that is confusing to Americans. For Americans, anyone born in Russia is Russian. For Russians, if you're Jewish, that's a different nationality. They don't consider Jews Russian, although they're born in Russia, speak Russian, and like it's gotten slightly better over the years, but during Soviet times, literally in your passport, there was a line that said nationality 
and it was like Russian, Tartar, Jewish. So like, regardless of how little I believe in God or go to any services, even before any of this, like even on my regular TikToks with some sort of Russian joke where I'd be like, I'm Russian, blah, blah, blah. They'd be like, you're not Russian, you're Jew. So like, it's still a thing. So it's a more complicated question than you would think. That immediately springs to mind two separate follow-up questions. Was your grandmother in America when she died or was she still back in Russia? Oh yeah. She was in Connecticut. Yeah. Where, okay. So my dad's parents came over like three or four years after we did in the mid nineties, early nineties. Uh, so yeah, she, she was living in Connecticut. So she, she was a Russian Jew like us. Uh, but one of the other obvious things is one of Vladimir Putin's rationalizations for this entire operation is the idea that he's denazifying the Ukraine. Yeah. And, yes. you know, I've heard it from, uh, from an ex-girlfriend, from other people, from other immigrants that I've, that I've interviewed on the podcast that, as you just said, the Jewish people who lived in the areas of the former Soviet Union have never felt like part of the Soviet Union or of Russia. So how does how does he get away with even using that as a rationalization? Sure. I, I mean, anti-Semitism is popular in both Russia and Ukraine. They have that in common. Um, the, the the funny version is, like you said, Putin's saying Ukraine's full of Nazis. That's why the reason they're given for going in. And everyone else is like, the president of Ukraine is a Jew. And all I hear is eventually both sides are going to blame us Jews for high gas prices. The, the, the last funny version is, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, there, there is a Nazi segment in Ukraine that Western media has been reporting about for many years. And part of that report is they're an actual, like, sanctioned army battalion. It, it's like, basically, if the KKK was the 99th Infantry, it, it is like, that, that is a thing that is happening in Ukraine. Do I think that's the reason he's actually going in? No. But, but it is, you know, it's like any PR spin, like, there's at least a grain of truth inside of a lot of the bullshit uh, I mean, uh, one version I've heard is like, yeah, they're a minority of the army, but they're actually calling most of the shots in the army even before this started. So, so I, mean, I mean, like, it's a horrible situation. War is always bad for civilians, regular people, but then politicians and war-making machine companies, it's good for their bottom line. How is How has this affected your own psyche in terms of like what it means to be Russian American. Yeah. I mean, it's evolving, but it's definitely not. I, I feel that the choice is either comedically speaking, like I could either just stop mentioning I'm Russian completely because I have enough other material and other jokes. And I mean, if you know, I'm not born here. I think people can sometimes notice some of my words sound slightly weird. Like, TH sounds are not my friend. Thankfully, <laughs> there's the thesaurus. But if I don't say anything, I can kind of pass. So that, that, that's one way. But that, that to me, I'm like, 
let me lean into it and kind of get you. It feels like audiences are interested to hear my perspective instead of punchline form because I am born there and like, you know, Russian heritage culturally. So, yeah. Well, and, and as you've mentioned before, audiences, even just in the last month, have reacted differently once they find out that you're Russian. What, talk about what that's like. Yeah, so what, one thing I had, a, the way I used to get into my Russian material would just be a simple, uh, you can't tell right away, but actually I'm an immigrant. I was born in the worst part of Russia, uh, Russia. But since the invasion, I've modified that joke to I was born in the most evil part of Russia, Russia. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 I, that way I like soften the go Ukraine. It's like, let me let me get my viewpoint out. Because there was one show early on where I just mentioned Russia. And he's like, Ukraine. I'm like, let me get to my jokes. This, this isn't a pro-Kremlin seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, but it's at the same time, I'm trying to make both viewpoints acknowledged and a little funny. But like, I have a joke where a friend of mine says, Ben, you were born in Russia. That makes you complicit in this invasion, in this war. And I was like, dude, I've lived in America since I was a little kid. I'm only complicit in Iraq. (laughs) There's like, to me, there's like a little bit too much of like, look, invading bad war, bad, but, pretending America doesn't do the same thing all over the world all the time is like this very convenient cognitive dissonance that I'm like, well, let's at least acknowledge whatever images you're seeing that are very upsetting. Those are the same images that every American special military operation, don't call it a war, has had in the last 30 years. True enough. How does does this affect just how you raise your daughter in terms of like, what she grows up knowing and thinking about her Russian heritage and and how that impacts how you think about your own heritage. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to separate the politics of a country from the people, right? Like, so I show her cartoons in Russian. We take her to a Russian language class. Uh, Always try to speak to her in Russian to like, I think it just makes kids smarter to be bilingual and also knowing multiple cultures. I mean, she, look, she's getting, she goes to a Jewish preschool. So she's getting like Jewish culture, Russian culture and American culture, which I think is just helpful to not have a, I only know America and that's it. So that you understand there's different parts of the world that think and act differently. So, So it's like, trying to get that part in, you know, we're not teaching her KGB war chants or something, you know, mm-hmm. and it's also, uh, my dad's cousin who's his age was telling me she was like in a Facebook group that was like Russian parents of New Jersey. And she's like, as soon as the war started, they renamed it to Russian speaking parents of New Jersey to like separate <laughs> more so from, from, the government decisions. Almost like it's a hobby now. We're, we're not, we just speak it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, with my daughter, like it depends how long the conflict goes. Hopefully it ends soon. But if it drags on for years and years, like Afghanistan or Iraq, 
then at some point you kind of got to tell her about what's going on. Whereas now we have, I mean, in her Russian class, they're literally making bracelets for Ukraine. Like I see the yellow and blue colors. I don't think they've, I'm not sure they've explained it much other than just like we're making bracelets today, but (laughs) I I mean, I, you know, you know what it is. I mean, it's also, I remember the first few days of the invasion, like, I was like with my daughter at the playground and I was just, it was almost like a survivor's guilt where like, if the, if she, if my family hadn't moved and this child was in Russia or Ukraine, you know, we wouldn't be on a playground right now because things are bombs exploding and bad things. So it, 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 it took a couple, it took a couple days of reading and stuff before I could just turn on the comedy brain and here's Joe, you know, like, uh, the, the one I, I'm proud of because it's very... I, I like the jokes that, like, acknowledge the situation without overly taking one side or the other. Uh, so, so, like, I, I have... Uh, I, I no longer tell my daughter, you're grounded. Now I say you're sanctioned. <laughs> and, and she goes, Daddy, what's sanctioned mean? And I say, that means you can only play with your Chinese friend. <laughs> Well, Ben, you know, uh, as someone with the last name McCarthy, I, uh, I'm definitely a little, I have an ism. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely a little sensitive when it comes to talking about Russia and the Soviets, even though, uh, no relation, no relation to fighting Joe McCarthy. But, um, but I do appreciate you sitting down with me for, uh, to talk about this stuff and, um, and how it impacts impacts you and your life and your and your daughter. What what message do you want to make sure gets out there other than come see you at a show? <laughs> yeah, sovereign uh, bigbencomedy.com. That, that's right. the main message. Uh, war is bad. Government could be bad, but the people, the regular day people can still be good. And, and like like I, I've been seeing reports where like people in New York city are not going to Russian food restaurants in protest or, or like R- Russian owned establishments. And it's like they immigrated, but they didn't want to be there either. And like a lot, some of them might be Ukrainian and it's just called the Russian, whatever. Cause before all this, it, you know, it, it was less of this country, that country in, in a bunch of those parts. So like the, don't, don't be like in Texas where they killed the guy in a turban after 9-11 and he was a sheep and not even Muslim. But like, separate the people from the politicians. And yeah. And if you could get a message back to any Russians who might be listening to this. They, they can't get Facebook, but they can get Sean's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not listed under politics, so I think it might slip through. This is the report I got secondhand. It is like in Russian cities, there's no life is normal so far where it's like, okay, you don't have Gucci anymore. Now you have Schmoochie where it's just the same factory in China, but they're not putting on the label and just giving you, you know, so like. Eh. So it's like Canal Street. Yeah. Basically <laughs> all, all of Russia has turned into a canal street. It, it is my <laughs> secondhand understanding. So uh, what would I tell the people? 
I mean, it, this, this thing sucks for everyone but the politicians, you know? So hopefully it ends soon. Yeah, hopefully it ends soon. Well, this podcast is ending right now. So thank you for, <laughs> thank you for joining me and uh, good luck out there. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sean. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.